Welcome to Harmony Talk, a podcast about dreamers and doers from all walks of life, art, science, music, design, invention, entrepreneurship, and social impact. Our guest today is Jeff Abella, a co-founder of Mocha Origins, an award-winning bean-to-bar coffee and craft chocolate business nestled in the hills of the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. Mocha's origins, however, are truly very, very far away, thousands of miles in West Africa, specifically Cameroon, where Jeff and his partner, Ishan Tigane, gave birth to a business that helps farmers not only survive, but thrive. And Jeff is here to tell us all about it. First, Harmony Talk is a podcast brought to you by A.M. Skyer, a third-generation family insurance business started in 1920. I'm your host, Lisa Shampo. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you. I know you've done this before, but I'd like you to take us back to the very, very beginning. Now, you are from Wisconsin. Somehow you made it to the Himalayan Institute, which sent you over to Cameroon on a humanitarian mission. And then suddenly you found yourself digging wells and building roads. Now, how did that all happen? <laughs> well, it happened over the course of about a decade. And yeah, it is kind of a, a wild story. But it does come full circle. Uh, and so when I started working for Himalayan Institute, our specific area of focus was humanitarian projects. And our country that we really focused in on was Cameroon, which is a beautiful country in West Africa, nestled right south of Nigeria and on the ocean. And our focus there was public libraries, health centers, and women's empowerment programs. But we're nestled in these beautiful mountains and surrounded by lush forests and a lot of cocoa and coffee growers call this region their home. And so when we started doing this humanitarian work, which still thrives today, by the way, we have six libraries, four health centers, a fleet of mobile health vehicles, women's empowerment programs, and a school of carpentry and construction. But when we were about a decade into running those programs, we decided to take an active step towards using agriculture as a way to create jobs. And the way that came to be was, as we're living and working in this region, we actually started working with coffee and cocoa cooperatives to grow medicinal herbs. And those medicinal herbs were manufactured into health products and used by our public health workers in Cameroon. Today, we have about 200 public health workers that use these medicinal dietary supplements to support health in this region. But how this pertains to chocolate and coffee is kind of interesting. We started questioning, like, why is there so much interest in shoring up your cocoa and coffee growing with other crops like medicinal herbs? And by 2009, actually, we were introduced to a project in South India that his Holiness, the Dalai Lama, was leading for the Tibetan refugees in South India. So we were invited to South India for a three-year project as well to do a similar model of using barren land that's underdeveloped and has economic potential but hasn't really been brought to fruition. And so we did that for three years and then also worked in central Mexico for three years working with coffee and cocoa farmers there. All while our work in Cameroon was going strong and our growing of medicinal herbs with coffee and cocoa communities was expanding as well. And Ishan and I started to really kind of question everything, like how can these two foods, chocolate and coffee, two crops that billions of people consume around the world every single day, hardly afford to feed the families that grow these beans? How can these products cost so little on the grocery shelf 
Now, how can there be a one or two or three dollar chocolate bar when there's so much human energy growing the beans that are in those foods? And so while we were with the community members for a decade now in these regions, we started to realize the downsides of the coffee and cocoa industry and kind of acknowledge the tremendous upside and potential that did exist if there was more direct market linkage and fair compensation going to farmers for those beans. So you literally decided to make an industry out of this. We decided to make a direct trade industry from Cameroon, going from farm to bean to bar. But you had to do a lot to make that infrastructure work, as I understand it. It's exactly right. We had to build it from the ground up. So when we started Mocha Origins, most people know about us here in the Poconos, um, but actually we started two years prior to launching our PA base. We launched Mocha Origins in Cameroon in 2015 as a beautiful demonstration farm and what we call now a training center. So we had to build a road network through this barren land, dig wells for water sources, tap rivers for water as well. And so we had to build our irrigation infrastructure, road network, as well as electrical via solar project to get this land to the point of being able to really do anything with. And here we are seven years later, after inhabiting this land and starting our tree planting in 2015, we've now planted over 250,000 trees on our land, as well as in partnership with surrounding communities. We have two water sources that feed community water taps, as well as our own irrigation systems for Mocha Farm. And on that land, we're also demonstrating cocoa, plus other cash crops that help to diversify farmers' income, ultimately reducing their vulnerability. So for example, in addition to growing cocoa, which takes five years to go from seed to a mature enough tree that you can harvest cocoa pods from, also introducing things like growing banana or plantain right in that same plot of land. Because banana and plantain are great examples because you can harvest within one year and have income immediately while that banana and plantain also then shades and protects the cocoa tree. Other things that we're doing are growing mango and papaya, plantains, and other fruit trees that are kind of longer term cash crops and just ultimately create more of a nutritional dense home farm for farmers, but also one that has a lot more economic potential. And then we're growing medicinal herbs as well. That's kind of unique to Mocha. But then this health initiative is using the herbs that Mocha is growing for their project. So it's kind of a win-win-win on many fronts. It sounds very, very busy and high energy. Now, I have to assume that you had a lot of support on the one end from the Himalayan to get this project off the ground and also buy-in from the farmers. How did you convince them that this was going to be good for them? They were going to make more money if they just maybe worked a little harder for Mocha, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so that's a really sensitive point and a really important one to get right because it's highly experimental and you can't really ask anyone that isn't wanting to take that risk to take a risk that might do them harm. So that's why we actually started Mocha Farm to begin with versus just promoting this model to farmers that have their own farms. We wanted to take the first step and showcase that this was a viable way for farming to take place and showcase by living example that you can diversify your crops or you can plant different cocoa varieties that will produce greater yields or using different methods of pruning, irrigation, trying organic methods of fertilizer or pest control. We wanted to take the first step and showcase this. And that's a long play kind of idea. I mean, it took four years just to get to the point where we had trees looking good enough. And also it was a great learning experience for us too. 
and at that point we were hiring local team members. So we have local agronomists, agriculturalists, and fully locally run Cameroonian management team running Mocha Farm. So now five years later though, it's a thriving model. Farmers can come and see it. They can start to take seedlings or take our team's expertise and use us as consultants as they then start to expand their own farms using this model. Well, I know you kind of have that triple mission going there, which is farmer training. You just talked about that economic development. And of course, the restoration of the environment, planting a tree for every product sold. But somehow you're talking to me from somewhere in the Poconos, and we're talking about this amazing operation in Cameroon. And you do roast the beans, as I understand it, in the Poconos. So you have to get all of those beans produced by those farmers, ship them to the United States. And I did see a picture of you surrounded by, I don't know, 150 jute bags. And I thought, oh my gosh, the challenge of shipping them must be enormous. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is really fascinating. The global supply chain for coffee and, and chocolate you know, we all drink coffee in the mornings and hardly ever do we think about or know where those beans come from. And so the logistics have a lot to do with the quality and the costs. So when we first started Mocha Farm and we started to produce cocoa and coffee, our original intention was not to go into manufacturing of a finished packaged product. It was to find other roasting companies or chocolate manufacturers that would want to partner with these farmers who we've created a network around and do what's called direct trade. And in doing so, we started bringing back bean samples, you know, small five, 10 pound samples. And my wife and I were making really small batches of chocolate and coffee in our home and kind of fell in love with that craft process that such a creative process, one that's also delicious. So there's that, but really kind of love the idea that we knew directly who grew these beans and for example, how they fermented this cocoa on their farm and the challenges that they had to overcome to create this quality bean. And here we are making chocolate from it or coffee from that. And we just really fell in love with that process and that transparent supply chain. And so that's where we then started our roastery and chocolate factory on the campus of the Himalayan Institute, in the beautiful Poconos just outside of Honesdale in a restored dairy barn. And that was in 2017 when we opened those doors. Did the pandemic cause some shipping challenges? It really did, yeah. So going back to shipping a little bit, volume is really important. You need large enough volume to be able to move a jute bag across the ocean, right? One full shipping container can take over 300 jute bags. If you put any less in a shipping container, your shipping costs are gonna greatly outweigh the value of that bean itself. So it's been really great having partners to help us with this, bringing back large containers of beans, but then allowing us to just have access to a few bags as we need. Now we're to the point where we're able to commit to full containers or partial containers of cocoa, and that feels really good. As far as how the pandemic has challenged us, I mean, it's showing its teeth right now, to be honest. There's a lot of inflation all over the place with cocoa, coffee. A lot of that has to do with the transit costs, getting a shipment of beans onto a huge shipping vessel and across the Atlantic Ocean. All of the costs are going up, including packaging and things like that. So we've definitely had some challenges due to COVID. One other reality in Cameroon, there's been civil unrest for about four years now. And so just moving free about the farm for farmers has been really tough. So last year, for example, in the peak of COVID, as well as in the peak of this unrest, 
we had about a four-month period where our Cameroon coffee wasn't available because of the supply chain challenges linked to the pandemic, but also the social unrest in Cameroon. So you've really overcome a lot of challenges. And let's just talk for a second about cost. Your chocolate bars are certainly very tasty and your coffee is tasty as well. They are a little bit on the expensive side. I mean, a bar of chocolate here in the United States costs maybe a dollar seventy-five, two fifty. But your bars, which are about the size of an iPhone, two point four ounces, cost about nine dollars. And I think one of your marketing slogans is "melts in your mouth, not in the wrapper." <laughs> so they are tasty, and they are yeah. definitely high quality chocolate. But how do you do? You justify the cost by the social impact, and do consumers buy into that more and more? Are doing that today for sure. Actually, no. The cost of the chocolate is what it costs to make chocolate from ethically sourced beans. And unfortunately, the world is in a position where we're consuming chocolate made by four to five chocolate companies, and that is finding its way into thousands of small chocolate brands. And by small, I still mean pretty massive. And unfortunately, the farmers are paying the price for the world's cheap chocolate. When you look at the cost of making a chocolate bar with beans that were Sourced in a way that provided a living wage income to farmers and then are processed in a way that's high quality. And that starts at the farm, by the way. That's good genetic varieties of cacao that help to foster biodiversity and ecosystem that's harvested and fermented in a way that is high quality and then dried, sacked, and shipped. And then arrives our factory where everything is very carefully sorted, roasted deshelled and stone ground and nitpicked every single step in a small batch way to achieve high quality. Anyway, point to all that is there's a lot of costs associated with high quality as well as trade ethics. And for us, we're not going to skip on either of those two. And as a result, our chocolate bars are definitely more expensive than chocolate that you find in big commercial settings. Well, I'm going to have to ask the question then, does mocha make money? Sure. So it's a good question. It's an important thing. It's actually one of the funner things I like to talk about. How can a socially conscious business be financially sustainable as well? And so we look at financial performance very seriously, just as any business needs to. And then we also look at social impact and we measure those two. And when measuring one and not the other, I think is where companies get into a lot of trouble. The world gets into a lot of trouble if we're only measuring financial and business performance, but not our social impact. But at the same time, if you're only measuring your social impact, well, you can prioritize things that don't lead to a healthy, sustainable business. And if those fundamentals don't exist, you're not going to be along for a while. So Mocha is in a very good situation as far as our social impact, as well as a business that is sustainable and making money. But it's funny watching people's reaction to some sticker shock if they haven't seen a bar that costs 7 to $10. And I think the assumption is, wow, look at the inflation or this egregious pricing. It must be very profitable. Well, the reality is if we work the numbers backwards. No, the margin is about the same percentage-wise as those massive companies, but the costs to us are greater because of the steps that we're taking. Well, speaking just for a minute about big chocolate, A lot of big chocolate companies have been accused, of course, of using child labor, slavery, and they have defended themselves by saying that they just buy the cocoa from the source and they're not responsible for the work on the farms. And the Supreme Court recently threw out a case, in fact, because the companies, they couldn't control the business overseas. I think Nestle's, in fact, is now going to incentivize farmers not to use child labor. But 
mocha is not only in Cameroon. You source your chocolate and your coffee beans from other countries, from Uganda in East Africa, from Mexico, from India, from Guatemala. How do you control the work on the farm in those places, or do you? Great question and really important topic. So I'm glad you brought it up. It's in the news right now. So yes, searching for ethical source chocolate is going to bring up a lot of relevant things right now. And so for us, it's a model called direct trade or transparent trade, knowing who we're sourcing from and oftentimes the farmers themselves that are growing those beans. And then here's where it turns into kind of a more of a market demand discussion. When we are paying prices to farmers or to our suppliers that equal a good paying job for a farmer, they're not required to use forced labor or child labor to grow those beans. And not everyone's going to like that explanation, but I've seen it be true, meaning that if the market here, us as consumers are demanding a one to two to $3 bar of chocolate, there's just no way that that cocoa bean that is being purchased sustainably supported a farmer. And however, the market demand is strong. That farmer has trees. Those trees have been in their farm for 20 or 30 years. There's no other opportunities there. They're almost trapped in the cycle. They have to produce cocoa. They have to do it at little to no cost. And in that case, yeah, they might be using their labor practices that are not ethical. How does Mocha, though, getting your beans and so on from other places, how do you assure that that's not happening? Sure. We are actually traveling to these countries, meeting the cooperatives that we're buying from, meeting the farmers that are part of that cooperative and looking at the compensation to those farmers, comparing that to a per pound cost and feeling really good about what that purchase price is. Also, using models of fair trade, for example. Ghana is a great example. We're buying from the only fair trade cooperative in Ghana. Ghana is known for a lot of cocoa. It's not known for trade ethics. It's not even known for high quality cocoa. We've found a fair trade co-op that we just love who is paying fairly and they're able to showcase that very transparently. And they're also exceptionally high quality beans. And there's a connection there. The high quality beans means that they can justify a fair price or a higher price, I'll say, because we're able to make better quality chocolate that we can then sell for more. And the fact that that's reaching the farmer feels really good. So yeah, direct trade to us is really important or transparent trade, knowing the sources of our beans. And that means, I mean, I was in Tanzania three weeks ago. I was in Uganda five weeks ago. I spent a lot of time in Cameroon, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, Mexico. And it's not cheap. It's not achievable to everyone. But to us, it's really important. And if we weren't doing that, we probably wouldn't feel good about being in this business. Well, that sounds great. Your chocolate, of course, is, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it is very tasty and you use a lot of different things. You have dark chocolate, you have milk chocolate, you use blueberries, cherries, toffee, and caramel, and I hope people's mouths are watering at this point in time. Have you increased your number of employees? Yeah, we have a nice base now. I mean, it's still a very small company. There's 15 of us here and in this beautiful dairy barn in the Poconos making chocolate and coffee. And that seems like a lot of people. It was just myself at one point doing small batches in a shed, testing products at home with Chelsea and my business partner, Ishan, as well. And so I remember that first hire and then that second and third. And now that we're fluctuating between with part-time, I mean, 10 and 20 people, we have a really great base. We're small enough to be responsive to our customers We do take out a lot of special projects for coffee supply contracts and special custom chocolates. So we're small enough to be kind of unique and dynamic, but we're large enough to really follow through 
and just have a lot of fun in the process. Well, how far out there are you? You're in Whole Foods, I think? Yeah, Whole Foods is one of our bigger chocolate customers. And that's in the Mid-Atlantic region. There's about 60 stores that make up the Mid-Atlantic region. But you can also find us in Mom's Organic Markets and a lot of specialty grocers and organic stores throughout Virginia, Washington, Maryland, D.C., Southern PA. We have quite a bit of locations you can find our products in there. And this is all on the website, too. At the bottom of the site, under Store Locator, You'll see we have really good concentration in Southern PA, stretching all the way down through New York, New Jersey, D.C., and then on the West Coast as well, because there's a really strong market for ethically sourced, high-quality chocolate. So there's specialty stores there that carry us. You have a lot of competition, but you sound like you're expanding. What are your goals for the future for Mocha? Really to get as big as we can for the sake of buying more beans from farmers. The bigger we can get, the more social impact we can have. And that's just because we feel really good about how much we're paying for our beans and that relationship we have long-term with farmers. On top of that, yes, we plant a tree for every product sold and our proceeds do go back to Mocha Origins Training School in Cameroon. But even if we weren't doing those other two, just the fact that we know that our beans are supporting farmers because of the compensation structure there, the more beans we buy, the more chocolate we make, and I think the more impact we'll have as a small business. Do you have one story in particular, perhaps about a farmer and his family that you helped and you saw their horizons expand, you saw their life change? I do. I have a lot of them. So let me choose wisely here. You can mention a couple. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one that really touches me because it's cross-generational is a farmer named Fabian from Cameroon. And when we started Mocha, Fabian was around and was an incredible just person and hard worker. And he was one of those individuals where he lit up the room or the farm in our instance with his personality and smile. And his family had left him long ago. Fabian was in his late 60s and had a wife and two boys who left the village for kind of greener pastures. And just hearing him tell the story, you know, was very touching. But when we then brought Fabian into Mocha and he turned into one of our core Mocha startup team members for our farm. And two years later, when I went back, he was so proud to introduce me to his son. His son was in his 30s. And so our general manager introduced this new staff member And Fabian came with this huge smile, tear in his eyes, and said, this is my son. And my wife and boys have returned to the region. I'm getting tears in my eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I get chills when I think the story through. Very moving to have the family come back. Yeah, and that came back. The dignity around farming was restored. And this is just in this little instance in this village. I don't want to overstate it. But it's a great example of how farmers have kind of taken the brunt of a supply chain that's challenging to everyone, but it takes the toll on the farmers to the point where dignity, at least in this area, wasn't there for the farming trade. And that's terrible when you think about it. All of our, the energy, us as humans, I mean, food is life and making sure that the farmers are acknowledged and compensated fairly just seems like an obvious thing, but it's not. It's not common sense or or built into all of our supply chain. So when Fabian's example manifested, it was just like a, a real clear indication that we're onto something here. We're making a product out of something that's paying fairly. There's 
a sustainable living wage income now being provided and it is keeping community intact because of that. And that was really touching. Fabian passed away about a year and a half ago. His two sons now work for MoCA and Fabian's legacy lives on. His legacy continues. Yeah. I bet you've learned a lot of lessons though. I mean, it hasn't all been, you know, a smooth road. What would you not do if you had to do it all again? Okay, so what we've taken on is what I'll call like a very vertically integrated supply chain from being the processing, logistics, shipping, and now chocolate making and sales. While that's really nice, and I think opens up a lot of transparency and the ability for us to nitpick every step, it's also very challenging because your focus is going to be diffused and your expertise now needs to be spread across so many different areas of a highly specialized supply chain from source to finished product. So I think partnerships are really great. You know, when we started Mocha, we didn't have a roaster or a chocolate company that wanted to partner with us in our concept stage. But I think that would have been a really cool idea because it would have allowed us then to, yep, focus on the farm for that first five years. And then maybe we would have graduated to our own chocolate factory and coffee brand. But we took it all on at once. And I just think that that's challenging. So I think that, yeah, being disciplined in your starting point is a really important thing so that you don't diffuse your yourself or your resources as well. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. And I wish you the best of luck. I'm not really sure that this is how you started your life. You didn't say I want to grow up and become a coffee farmer, but you sound like you're really energized by it and enjoying it. Thank you so much, Lisa. This has been a lovely talk. And yeah, it's definitely something that's provided a lot of purpose and meaning in our life. All right. Thank you very much. It was great talking to you, Jeff. Harmony Talk is a podcast brought to you by A.M. Skyer, a third-generation family insurance business started in 1920. I'm your host, Lisa Champeau. Talk to you next time.